Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us through your word, the Bible. I pray that as we uh, consider it now, you would help us to know you better. Amen. Great. Um, so we're going to be looking at those two chapters and also the chapter afterwards. Um, it's um, it's a big lot to get through, uh, but we'll manage it. Trust me. Um, so let me ask you a question. What makes you follow someone? Uh, maybe on Twitter or YouTube or Instagram. What is it that hooks you in and makes you want to follow them? Maybe they're really funny. Every time they post something, it makes you laugh. Maybe they're really insightful. They say something true about the world and help you understand it better. Maybe they help you become better. Better at anything. There's all sorts on YouTube. Maybe it's coding or chess or cooking. Maybe you don't know why you follow someone. You just sort of like them. They just sort of seem nice. It's all about the person, really, isn't it? What do they do and who they are? It's like that in real life, not just online as well, with friends uh, in real life. Uh, you might go along with a friend to a party or perhaps, you know, at the moment, a Zoom thing uh, without knowing anyone else there um, because of the person, because you know that person and you want to follow them because you like that person. It's like that in, in romance as well, in romantic relationships. Um, I've been with Rosie to the wedding of one of her friends, not knowing anyone else there, but I went because I was going with her. Uh, it depends all about the person that you're following. We follow people because of who they are and what they do. So my hope as we look at this bit of the Bible now is that by the end of our time looking at it, we'll love Jesus more. And so we'll want to follow him. It's about the person. So we're going to see some more of what Jesus is like today. We're continuing on in the series uh, through 1 Samuel. You may have been with us the whole way through. You may be just joining. Um, so a quick recap. Saul is the king of Israel. And he's the sort of king that the people wanted. He sort of looked strong and impressive. Um, but he was rejected by God. God has instead chosen David. Now, David has been anointed as king, but Saul is still on the throne. And Saul's grown jealous of David and he's tried to kill him multiple times. And so David's run away and he's hiding in the wilderness. And that's where we pick up today. And we're going to see a sharp contrast between these two kings, the king who is God's choice and the king who the people choose. In these three chapters, we'll see the difference between their character and their future. So this isn't just like, you know, something useful for the pub quiz or a bit of trivia to know. David, oh, yeah, he was a good guy. Saul, he was a bit of a rotter. Um, no, it's far more than that, because David was God's chosen king, his anointed one. In other words, his Messiah or Christ. So as we come to know something of David's character, it points us to something that's true about the ultimate Messiah who'd come a thousand years later, Jesus. So the passage matters for us today because it tells us about Jesus. As I said before, I want us to go away loving Jesus more. Whether you've been a Christian for a million years and you've known Jesus for ages uh, or whether you're just just checking things out. It's a great chance to see what the fuss is all about, why Christians care so much about Jesus. So let's do that. Uh, we're going to dig in and look at this first chapter, chapter 24, uh, first of all. So. Before this chapter, Saul had been hunting David down. He'd been chasing him and his ragtag band of men. 
and he'd been just about to catch them when he got an urgent message telling them there was an army invading. So he had to go away. And now he's defeated them and he's coming back. And so straight away, he's getting back onto hunting down David. He gets together his crack squad of 3,000 soldiers and sets off. But on the way, you know, he needs to take a comfort break. So he pops into the cave to do his business. Um, but this is the very cave where David is hiding. Just imagine with me what David must be feeling. The man who, out of jealousy, has tried to kill him on multiple occasions. The man who has murdered those who have helped him. And the man who even now is coming to find and kill him. Imagine how David feels as this man strolls into the cave and puts his trousers down. David has a sword at his side and men whispering to him saying, come on, God's given him to you, kill him. He sneaks forward, sword drawn and simply slices off, not his head, but just like the corner of the robe. Like, what's he doing? He could have solved all his problems, just watch out. But he didn't. When you are wronged, what do you do? When someone cuts you up in the car, when someone at work blames you for something that you haven't done, when someone steals something from you, you want to pay them back. At the very least, it's a hard stare at the driver through their window, an email to set the record straight, or a call to the police. Okay, now up it a level. Someone has tried to murder you. They've murdered your friends and they've made you run away from home, leaving your friends and family behind. The police won't pay any attention because that person runs the police and you're utterly helpless. That's what David's feeling as Saul comes into this cave. But he lets him go with just the corner of his coat missing. And then he goes out and he calls to him. If you've got a Bible open, uh, open up to chapter 24 and look at verse eight. See what he calls it. My Lord, the King. And then he falls down, face down on the ground. And he calls him, my Lord, my father. Why? Because he sees Saul as God's anointed. So he won't touch him. But instead, he pleads his innocence. He shows the corner of the robe to prove he could have taken Saul's life, but didn't. Instead, he, he asks God to judge. And listen to Saul's response. This is in verse 16. He says, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You are more righteous than I. That's the understatement of the century. Like it's a mass murderer versus a man who spares the life of his enemy. This is the difference between these two kings. One is innocent. The other is wicked. Saul is the sort of king that people wanted. But he did evil. He finally understands that David should be king. And he says in verse 20, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Saul should abdicate. That's the right response 
in the face of God's Messiah, God's chosen king, let him rule. But he doesn't. David is a picture of Jesus, God's ultimate king. He is righteous, innocent, patient and kind, even to his enemy. Let me uh, read to you um, a bit of 1 Peter, which speaks about Jesus. I'll share it on the screen so you can see. It says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see how David is a picture of Jesus, who suffering as an innocent had power over those who were trying to kill him and yet spared them. He didn't fight back. Jesus said he could have summoned more than 12 legions of angels, but he didn't. He trusted himself to God, the just judge. But Jesus is even better than David, though. Let's see how the verse goes on. It says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. As Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he bore punishment that wasn't meant for him. He did it so that his enemies might not have to. Not only did Jesus not give his enemies what they deserve, but he took that punishment on himself. If you trust and follow Jesus for yourself, then this is true for you. Jesus died on the cross for you, bearing the punishment you deserve. The punishment each of us deserves for the ways we live like Saul looking to our own interests and neglecting to love God and our neighbour. Jesus did this for us. Wow. Isn't Jesus great? Okay, let's see some more of this as we look on to chapter 25. So the story so far, it's all been about David and Saul ever since David's shown up basically but now we get the story which is about David but then it's about some sheep farmer and his wife might feel a bit out of place as you first look at it but it's actually very intentionally placed here you see it matches up this story here matches up really closely with the chapters on each side it's like a sandwich so the story in the middle acts as a picture of David and Saul's relationship and we'll see that as we go through so after we hear the news of Samuel's death, we meet this very rich man called Nabal and his wife, Abigail. And they're immediately contrasted. Nabal is harsh and mean, and his very name means fool. Whilst Abigail is intelligent and beautiful. Her name means delight of the father. So we've got nasty Nabal and amazing Abigail. So David's men have been guarding Nabal's 3,000 sheep night and day when they're in the wilderness. They treated Nabal's men really well. So David sent some of his men to ask for a bit of hospitality and help. But when his men asked Nabal, he replied in verse 10, 
who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and then I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Okay, so Nabal obviously does know who David is. He even knows who his father is, but he dismisses him as a rebel and disregards the kindness that David has shown to him. When he looks after his sheep, he prefers to look after himself instead. Now, nasty Nabal may be a scumbag, but David's reaction seems like way overkill. He gets 400 of his men, strap on their swords, and they go to kill him. It's really different to the way he treated Saul in the previous chapter. Were he to go through with this, this would be an awful stain on his character. He would be acting more like Saul than Jesus. But God uses amazing Abigail to save the day. Abigail hears what's happened and she grabs together a pile of supplies, packs them on donkeys and sends her servants off to find David before his men arrive. She delivers an impassioned speech in which she tells David to ignore Nabal, disregard him as a fool. And she considers that God has sent her to keep David from doing evil. Listen to what she says. She says, the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. That was precisely what marked David as righteous and innocent in the last chapter. And God, through Abigail, is preserving that. And then finally, she prays that all of David's enemies will be like Nabal. And if you just look at verse 29 with me, if you've got it open, she says this. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. David's familiar with a sling. He defeated Goliath with one. And Abigail assures David that his other enemies will be dealt with by God in a similar manner, whilst he will be kept safe. David accepts what she says and he praises God that he sent her. So amazing Abigail has saved the day. And she returns home to nasty Nabal, who is none the wiser. He's still a fool. He's getting drunk at a banquet like that of a king. In the morning, when her husband sobered up a bit, Abigail tells him what's happened and his heart fails him. And he became like a stone. A stone ready to be launched away by a sling. Then after 10 days, the Lord struck him and he died. And Abigail became David's wife. Now, it's an exciting story, isn't it? Tension, drama, death and romance. But the most important thing about it is that it's a microcosm of the bigger picture. It's a model of the conflict between David and Saul. Nabal is a picture of Saul. There's loads of links intentionally made to the chapters on either side of this one in the middle that make it look like Nabal and Saul are meant to be seen the same. I'll just point out four to you now. First one, David calls Nabal, well, he dresses him as your son, David. Nabal holds a banquet like that of a king. Abigail refers to an enemy hunting David and asks that he would be 
like Nabal. And Nabal is called a fool. And Saul, in the very next chapter, will call himself just that. But it's more than just this like one character matching one character. It's the whole lot, it's the whole shape of the story. This chapter in the middle is shaped exactly the same as the ones on either side. David is unjustly wronged, but he withholds his vengeance and then receives a promise of blessing. But in this model chapter in the middle here, you see something, you see the end of the story, which you don't get in the chapters on either side yet. You see the end of the story is blessing for David and judgment for his enemy. Nabal is slung away like a stone and David gets amazing Abigail as a wife. God's king has a blessed future. His enemies do not. Okay, so remember how David is a picture of the true Messiah, Jesus. When people hurled insults at him, when he suffered, when he was executed on the cross, he didn't retaliate. He withheld vengeance. But from the tomb, he didn't stay dead. He rose to life again. He ascended up to heaven and is seated in glory by God, the Father's side. Jesus has a blessed life now. But his enemies will face judgment. Those who have rejected him, even as he has shown great kindness to them, like David did to Nabal and Saul. So we need to think who we want to follow. Because the king we follow will determine what our future is. If we follow in the footsteps of Nabal and Saul and reject God's chosen king, God's judgment will come. It's not a nice thought. It's scary. But it's true. If we live a life which rejects God's chosen king, which rejects Jesus and his offer of forgiveness, then we will have to answer to God for our actions. But the joyful news is that Jesus invites us to follow him, to even share in his blessing. Jesus is by his father's right side now, in his very presence, enjoying the most perfect life. And if we trust and follow Jesus, we will enjoy that life with him forever. We will get to live with God, the source of all goodness for all eternity. That's what Jesus offers to his followers. Wow. Isn't Jesus great? Okay. Let's see how the sandwich closes. This last chapter, chapter 26, we didn't have it read out because the readings were already way long. Um, but we're going to see some very similar stuff as we go through. But before we dig into it, let me ask you one question. We're meant to learn from our mistakes, aren't we? But are there some mistakes you make over and over again? I know I do. I'm sure it's probably the case for you as well. I can see a few nods out there. Okay, have you seen one of those videos with? The dog, which has got a stick, which is really, really big in its mouth. And it's trying to go through a gate, which it just really can't fit through. And so it's got a stick in its mouth 
and it, bang. Okay, I just try this again. Bang, bang, bang. Can't get through. Nothing's changed. It needs to drop the stick, but it doesn't. It just keeps bashing into the gate and doing the same thing over and over again. Okay? Saul is a bit like one of those dogs in this chapter. Because chapter 26 is basically a redo of chapter 24. Okay, listen to how it goes and see what sounds familiar, okay? So Saul gets some information about where David's hiding. What does he do? He gathers together his crack squad of 3,000 men and goes and marches to find David. Saul makes camp before he found David, but David saw where he was camped and decides to sneak up on him. David and his nephew Abishai decide to sneak through the camp to where Saul is. I'll read from verse seven if you want to follow along. Um, so David and Abishai went to the army by night and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck into the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Just a little side note here. This is the spear with which Saul tried to pin David to the wall twice. Abishai said to David, today, God has given your enemy into your hand. Now, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike twice. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he'll go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jugs that are near his head. And let's go. After David has done this, they sneak away and he calls out to Saul and Saul responds in a familiar way. Is that your voice, David, my son? David asks why Saul is hunting him and repeats some of the same words from his previous speech. And Saul responds in verse 21. Listen to what he says. I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. It all sounds so familiar, doesn't it? Saul talks this good game of change and repentance, but that's what he was saying last time when he acknowledged that, yeah, David should be king. But his actions show what he's really like. He's a fool. He's like Nabal. He refuses to accept God's chosen king and persists in his foolishness like a dog with a big stick trying to get through a small gate. But there is some change from chapter 24. David, this time instead of stumbling upon Saul, actively seeks him out to prove that he won't harm him. And he's all the more sure of what the future holds for Saul. The first time, David asked God to judge between him and Saul. But this time he said, the Lord himself will strike him, just like he did for Nabal. The first time David asks, the second time David tells. Saul may not have changed, but David has learned a lesson. The lesson God was teaching him, and he trusts God in it, that God will judge his enemies. So he doesn't need to. So David refuses to return to Saul. Instead, he trusts God for the future. And Saul replies with the very last words he'll ever say to David. He says, may you be blessed. 
David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. These are the two kings. A fool who keeps opposing God's chosen king. And God's king who is patient and merciful to his enemies now, but trusts God for the future. To bless him and his followers, but to judge his enemies. These are the two kings. But this one is the king we naturally want, even though this is the king we need. When we're left to our own devices, Saul is the sort of king we want. We want to be the ones in charge of our own life. And we all too quickly oppose what God wants. But that's a foolish way to live. And in the end, it leads to judgment. What God wants is for people to follow his king, Jesus. Following Jesus means abdicating. It means stepping down from being king of our lives and trusting Jesus that he knows what's best. And these chapters show us why we should want that. They show us the sort of king Jesus is. And his character is so much better than ours. He is kind and patient, even with his enemies. He is righteous and innocent. There is no fault in him. He trusts God and his trust won't be let down. And his future is sure. It's one of blessing. David got amazing Abigail as a wife, and he'll go on to become a great king of God's people. But the blessing that comes with following King Jesus is even better than that. He invites us to come and live with God, his father in heaven. To live with God in his new creation for all eternity, to dwell with the source of all goodness forever. He wants us to join him. Wow. Isn't Jesus great? He's so, 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 so good. Follow him, love him, trust him. He's the best king we can have. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for who you are. Your character is unimpeachable. You are beautiful and wonderful. You are innocent and righteous you are faithful and kind and you care for people who are even your enemies and invite them to follow you and be with you forever please would you help us to love and trust you all the more amen